Welcome to the Gals Guide to the Galaxy podcast, where a group of gals gather for you one cool thing around our topic of the month. Is it ancient history? Is it breaking news? Is it safe for work? Well, that's up to each gal. All we know is that... Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. Welcome back. I'm Eden, and I'm joined by Bonnie, Katie, and Leah talking about our one cool Black history gal. Now, we already heard from Bonnie, uh, who talked about Queen Nanny of the Maroons, which was fantastic, by the way. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But before we dive back in, Leah is going to tell us what's on the Gal's Guide calendar for this week. Yes! So for the week of February 14th through the 20th of 2022, we have author Trudy Christner coming to the library for a book signing. Did you realize that it's the fifth anniversary of the Women's March? Well, Trudy is the author of the book On the March. It is a novel that celebrates the historic march by following three strangers who have their own undisclosed reasons for attending the march. And as the story unfolds, they get to know each other and trust each other and those secrets are revealed so come meet trudy and get your signed copy for only 9.99 that is on saturday february 19th from one to three and don't forget to check out all of our cool uh calendar events at galsguide.org now i bring back to eden because i think eden has a question for us yes so here is my question What is the biggest lesson that you have learned from a Black woman? I actually had to look up a favorite quote for this question. Yeah, yeah, Um, yeah. It's a quote by Maya Angelou. And I I think of this frequently, but I wanted to phrase it quick, like specifically. Um, I've learned that people will forget what you said. People will forget what you did, but people will never forget about how you made them feel. Yeah. It's a beautiful quote. It is beautiful. And it means a lot to me because I spent a lot of time like trying to do what I thought people wanted me to do, do what was right. Um, But really, it's more about your the positivity you bring to a situation and your interactions with people and your compassion for people uh, that make the lasting impression. I love that. That is one of my absolute favorites. Glorious Maya. (laughs) I have my, but I'm double checking that I'm correct. Y'all looking at quotes, aren't you? (laughs) (laughs) To remember the, how, how it was. Yes, exactly. Yeah. You want to get the words Uh, right. I feel you. You'll have to forgive me if I'm mistaken, (laughs) but I'm going to say just persistence. Okay. Um, I mean, besides all the wonderful knowledge Eden's given us, especially on Mm. genealogy stuff. Mm-hmm. But um, one of the ladies that I think of with persistence is uh, Elizabeth Jennings, who oh, yeah. is like the like an early Rosa Parks of a streetcar in New uh, York. Mm-hmm. She's on the streetcar, she gets like physically removed from it, and then she got back on. Like, I'm pretty sure she got back on. And then she ended up, I think, like, suing the company, I believe. Ooh. And I think the first one she won, but then I think it, it went back through the court, and then she lost that one. But I may be getting that mixed up with a another lady and a train. 
there was Ida B. Wells uh, on a train where she was yeah, kicked off and also so too, but, but that was the thing, you know what I mean? It was um, still worthwhile <laughs> yeah, this is, like, to sue and change it. Removed her from it. She got back on, like sat in the front seat and was like, no, mm-hmm. <laughs> was like, oh my goodness. Oh, I love it. <laughs> What's your answer? I'm going to go. I am a huge super fan of Sister Rosetta Tharp. I feel like I'm like one of her biggest cheerleaders. Um, I just, I adore her. She invented rock and roll. So I don't care. I've had many an argument, but uh, to me and to a provable public, uh, she invented rock and roll. And yeah. what I really learned from her when the fact that she was buried without a tombstone was that Black women do not get the proper credit they deserve for a lot of what they have created and a lot of the culture that we embrace. And so it's always kind of like pissed me off in a good way. You know what I mean? Like, let's just, let's give people credit and let's especially make sure that Black women are getting the credit that they so rightly deserve because they seem to be the first to not get credit. And that's, and that's, a, not cool. uh, that's a big example of intersectionality because, yeah. you know, she's a woman. And of mm. course, we tend to think of rock and roll as a guy thing, at least right. for years. Yeah, yeah. You know, and then on top of it, she's a white, she's she's a black person. Mm-hmm. We tend to think of white people inventing right. things. And she was bisexual and kind of open about it too. So... We're talking, you know, that 50s, 60s, yeah. another peg for, oh, no, 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 we don't know who she is. You know who she is. And you know who you're stealing from. Exactly. <laughs> Just exactly. give her credit. <laughs> okay, so my biggest lesson. Yes. Uh, probably, because you know I'm the genealogist person. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, one of my grandmothers, my dad's mom, Uh, She used to say, and this became kind of a motto within the family, um, it's better to be respected than to be liked. And an offshoot of that is people don't have to like you, Mm -hmm. but they better respect you. There you go. And so you better give them a reason to respect you. Yeah. I think that that whole concept of people not having to like you, you know, um, is huge. Because it's kind of freeing. Because feel like we're a failure if someone doesn't like us. Mm-hmm. But my grandmother basically said, you know, as Black people, lots of people don't like Black people for no real reason. Right. So, you know, there's nothing you can do about it. But based on how you live your life Mm -hmm. they'll they can respect you yeah i like that (laughs) that is a big one uh a big life lesson to constantly reflect on and touchstone on and that's a good one well who do you have for us darling okay so I was doing some research because I was going to do a completely different person and then stumbled across in my own family, someone just as worthy. (gasps) Look at that. I know, right? 
So I refer to her as the black powerhouse of Southern Indiana. Ooh, I like it. A local gal. So um, I'm talking about Grace Wilson Evans. Ooh. So um, she was my great grandmother on my father's side. Nice. So um, she was, uh, my dad referred to her as granny. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, of course, what you call your grandmother, mm-hmm. Granny. Um, she was born uh, on the 5th of December, 1892, mm-hmm. in Danville, Virginia, which is in Pennsylvania County. She was uh, a graduate of Hampton University, mm-hmm. uh, which at the time was called Hampton Normal and Agricultural Institute. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think it became at Hampton Institute and then eventually Hampton University. Her mother was a woman named Winifred S. Inge, who lived from 1864 to 1962. Um, And Winifred was also an early graduate of what is now Hampton University. Hampton University, if you don't know, um, started out as a school for African-Americans and indigenous Americans. Mm -hmm. So it was definitely people of color. Uh, I actually have a a photograph of Miss Winifred with what would have been her great grandchildren. So that would have been like my dad's cousins, just to throw that out there. Anyway, her father was a man named Andrew James Riley Wilson, and he was born in 1858. I'm not sure when he died, though. So anyway, she had uh, three brothers, and she had a sister uh, who coincidentally married a man on my dad's mother's side. Ooh. So this one man is related to me. He married a woman who's also related to me. So they're not related to each other, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're both related to me. The tree okay. thickens. <laughs> <laughs> now uh, Grace's father uh, had a second wife because you know people, you know, didn't always work out. So Grace had some half siblings. She had three um uh, half siblings who were half brothers, and then she had a half sister who was born in 1917. And I actually met this woman. Oh, so uh, she and her husband uh, both died in 2011. So they had lived a good old long time. Yeah, yeah. So Grace was married uh, first to a man named Edward Carter. And they had three children, uh, a son and two daughters. And then her second marriage was to my great grandfather, who was Frederick Harris Evans Sr. Because my dad was Frederick Harris Evans the third, and then my brother is the fourth. <laughs> oh, look at that. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Um, so anyway, she had um, one, two, three, four daughters and two sons, including my uh, grandfather. So, okay. Um, the interesting thing about her lineage is that Grace's father, so this would be Grace's paternal grandmother, 
okay. was actually a white woman. Oh. No, she was a biracial woman named Jane. Okay. Jane's father was biracial and he married a white woman in Virginia in wow. 1816. Oh my God. There's a marriage license. So this was like legal. Whoa. Now I'm still trying to figure out how that happened. <laughs> That's amazingly wonderful though that it happened. Yeah. Right. So um, the white woman that he married is actually uh, the great, 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 whatever, granddaughter of a woman named Judith Jefferson, who had a very famous nephew named President Thomas Jefferson. There it is. But anyway, that's a little side note. <laughs> nice. right, so back to Grace. <laughs> So uh, Grace Wilson Evans uh, chaired the executive board of the National Association of Colored Women. Um, the National Association of Colored Women uh, was founded in 1896 by a bunch of black activists who were not allowed to join the white women's mm. uh, National American Women's Suffrage Association which was headed by Susan B. Anthony and a bunch of other people. Right. So since they couldn't join with the white women because the white women didn't want to mm-hmm. be around them, they started their own group. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad they started their own, but uh, Susan B. Mm. I know, right? Mm. So the National Association of Colored Women advocated for a wide range of reforms to improve life for all African-Americans, both male and female, during uh, the Jim Crow era of segregation. And their motto was lifting as we climb. It's one of my favorite mottos. Yes. Right. So <laughs> they don't just climb that ladder. They mm-hmm. climb it up and reach down to grab the hands of, of the next women. Well, let's all get through here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Totally. So the National Association of Colored Women uh, became the National Association of Colored Women's Clubs mm-hmm. in 1904. And then became the, and then later on became the National Association of Colored Women's Clubs, Inc. Incorporated. Uh, By 1916, so this is around the start or or whatever of, or I guess World War I is getting underway, Mm -hmm. has gotten underway. I'm not sure when uh, America got into it. I know it was later. Anyway, by 1916, there were almost 100,000 members. of the National Association of Colored Women's Clubs. And they promoted uh, pro, they were pro voting rights Mm -hmm. for everybody. Uh, They were anti-lynching, because who wouldn't be? They were were (laughs) anti-discrimination, because again, who wouldn't be? Uh, But they also promoted concerts and literary groups. So if the outside library had existed back in the day, they would have been there. Yes, 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 yes. And more than welcome, unlike Susan B. (laughs) Totally. So they did a bunch of fundraising. Uh, They fundraised money for social services, for kindergarten, for elder care, Mm -hmm. for orphanages, for libraries, of course. Look at that. And war bonds. Yeah, yeah. You know, World War I. Yeah. So... As a little side note, uh, in 1997, a historical marker went up uh, at 2034 North Capitol Avenue in Indianapolis. Okay. Um, so that's 
just north of the main building of Methodist Hospital. Okay. Just north. There's this two-story house. Yeah. And the marker is right in front of the house because that house was the location of the headquarters of the Indiana Federation of Colored Women's Clubs. Yes. I think I, I have seen the marker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. So uh, that was a place where Grace went a lot for various meetings and what have you. Nice. So um, Mary McLeod Bethune. Yes. Okay. That was the woman I was going to do when I realized oh. how much my own great grandmother had to do. So oh. Mary McLeod Bethune was herself a black suffragette. Mm-hmm. She was an educator. She was a civil rights ag- activist. And she led the National Association of Colored Women's Clubs from 1924 to 1935 before she founded the National Council of Negro Women. Which gotcha. um, Mary McLeod Bethune was a frequent visitor of my great grandparents, of Miss Grace and Fred the First, as I like to call him, uh, down in <laughs> Terre Haute. Yes. Um, so she would come, I don't know how often, but she would come to talk business, to talk work, to talk, you know, business with my uh, great-grandmother, Grace. Another friend who was, uh, another family friend of um, Grace and Fred was Walter Francis White who was the president of the NAACP, uh-huh. the National Association for the Advancement of Color People, from 1929 to 1955. Oh, wow. So there were lots of famous people traipsing through that house in good old Terre Haute, Indiana. Ooh. So some of Grace Wilson Evans's other accomplishments, uh, like I said, she was a, or as you can guess, she was a suffragette. Mm-hmm. She promoted promoted voting rights for all black people, not just the women, because you know, the, the 15th amendment gave all the men um, mm-hmm. who were born in the United States, the right to vote. And it wasn't until the 19th amendment that women got it, but right. you know, right. that didn't always translate, especially in the South. Mm-hmm. So um, she also led the Terre Haute Women's Political League which was the city's black women's suffrage group, a group necessary because uh, some, you know, such organizations sadly were separated by race, you know, cause this is the early 20th century. She was of course, uh, with all of this totally outspoken, she delivered speeches around the state of Indiana as well as around the country. So she got around. She successfully lobbied the Indiana General Assembly to appoint the state's first Black member of the State Board of Education. Ooh, nice. Yes, yes, yes. She also advocated for both women's rights and African-American civil rights during this era when the Ku Klux Klan members uh, tended to hold positions of power in Indiana's state government. Yeah. So this was in, in the 20s when um, Indiana was pretty much led by the Klan. Yeah. So dark, uh, dark days. Totally dark <laughs> days. Yes. At the Indiana NAACP's 1930 state conference in French Lick, Indiana, 
uh, that organization chose Grace Wilson Evans to chair its committee on resolutions. Ooh. So that's kind of cool. Uh, one of those resolutions uh, pushed for perpetrators of lynchings to be brought to justice. And one I'm would not think sure that would be a no-brainer. Totally. But, but sure. as much of a no-brainer as it seems like it would be, especially in the 21st century, we still don't have an anti-lynching law. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, yeah. it's murder. Right. You know, it's uh-huh. vigilantism, but we still don't have one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, so she was chosen by President Herbert Hoover to attend a meeting in Washington, D.C. and serve on a subcommittee on housing conditions in 1931. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Totally. Like this woman gets around, right? Yes. She was also selected to be an alternate delegate for the 1940 Republican National Convention, which was kind of cool. And in 1941, she was the baccalaureate speaker at the Indiana State University graduation ceremony. So that was like in her own backyard, you know? Mm -hmm. She was often um, referred to uh, or quoted or discussed in various newspapers. Uh, the the black newspaper in Indiana in Indianapolis was is uh, was and still is the recorder, okay. and uh, she is quoted as saying that she recommended um, that colored voters, what they used to call black people, um, she recommended that voters fight every effort of politicians to place in office men who are against equal rights for Negroes. Mm. which is you know cool I love it um, despite <laughs> the old-timey words of colored voters and negroes uh-uh, except for that yeah no, yeah okay so um, the intention is still awesome and strong <laughs> president hoover invited her to serve on his housing subcommittee in 1931 Uh, And the recorder described her as both a militant Indiana GOP worker and a prominent figure in the church and social activities throughout the state. Because was the term badass just not really appropriate (laughs) for the newspaper? Absolutely. (laughs) So some more newspaper quotes about her. So prior to speaking engagements on the road in the late 1930s, referred to as one of the nation's most influential political figures and civic leaders by the Evansville Argus, which is the Evansville newspaper. Evansville Mm -hmm. is not that far from Terre Haute. Yeah. Um, and also referred to as being very outstanding in civic and social activities in the Northwest. Uh, and that was written in the Register, which is a newspaper out of Greensboro, North Carolina. Oh my God. And this is your family. Yes. Oh my God. Um, so apparently she went to Greensboro um, to North Carolina A&T College, mm-hmm. um, where she gave a speech to students and faculty. I'm, I'm guessing that North Carolina A&T might be an HBCU, uh, Maybe. a black college and university. I don't know yeah. very much about it. Um, but anyway, she went there to give a speech uh, to the people there, and she told the audience, quote, 
to start to dream, start to build something, start to create something and believe in your own convictions. And that was also re recorded in the register of Greensboro, North Carolina. That is lovely. Totally. Now, here's the really juicy stuff. Um, is she catching bullets with her butt? <laughs> Not that cool. All right. Okay. Okay. It's all right. Is it not a contest? Everybody's awesome. <laughs> so in 1918, um, so this would be like, I'm guessing right after or right around the end of World War One. Right. Uh, so this would be 37 years before Rosa Parks did her thing on the bus, you know, in Alabama. Miss mm -hmm. uh, Grace sat down in the lower level of a Terre Haute theater uh, because back then black people were supposed to sit in the balcony. Mm -hmm. Okay. And the, the main level was for the white patrons. So she actually picked her seat on the lower level. Um, and uh, so seating in the local theater was segregated. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, when confronted, she refused to walk up to the balcony seating and was forced to leave. She ended up suing the theater owner because why wouldn't she, right? Yes. yes. As recorded later, she didn't win, but she did get her case to court. Yeah. So, you know, that's something. So given the injustices that Black Americans faced in the courts, landing that kind of a hearing was in itself a, a sort of victory. Yeah, it was a step. It was, yeah, exactly. it was being recognized that this is not right and having it on the record. Yeah. Totally. So um, my favorite story. Okay, so um, my favorite family story, um, Grace, called Granny, um, went out on her front porch of her house with a shotgun. Yes. Um, there were KKK members who were standing in her front lawn and they were going to burn a cross on her <gasps> lawn. She went out there with a shotgun and said, oh, no, you not. <laughs> <laughs> or as my son would say, nah, fam. <laughs> Oh, badass once again right. wow. so as if that wasn't badass enough she recognized several of the men now how she did that with them wearing their like white um robes and whatever sure because um, there's like 15 people in the town no, totally. so, <laughs> so she recognized some of them and called them out by name and chastised them for their racism. Was she going to tell their mama? <laughs> Pretty much. She was like, oh, I know you. You're so-and-so. Your mama and I, blah, 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 blah. So I bet. I bet she went all black mama on everybody. Um, Damn so not only did that cross not get burned in her front yard, but she single-handedly shamed those men into leaving her and her family alone. Yes. Judging. I like it. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right. So, um, being Terre Haute, obviously they're going to be Indiana State University um, people, right? <laughs> um, so, uh, the the Phyllis Wheatley home. Oh Phyllis yeah, yeah. Wheatley Was the um, the poet mm -hmm. 
she was enslaved, but she was a poet and, and she was like the first black person to have something published in the United States. Right. Kind of thing. Um, the Phyllis Wheatley Home opened in 1922 as an association of African-American youth. It was founded by the Phyllis Wheatley Club. And guess who was the president of the club? Was Miss it? Grace. Oh, yes. Miss Grace. Look at you, Miss Grace. <laughs> so, uh, Phyllis, so the Phyllis Wheatley House mm-hmm. served as a boarding house and dormitory for out-of-town Black um, female students who were attending the Indiana State Teachers College. Oh, nice. Um, which is the original name of Indiana State University. Right, right. So the house could house up to 13 students. So, you know, if they didn't live in the Terre Haute area or in Vigo County, they could live there. Um, and the house served as the home economics practice house. Ah. So back in the day, you could actually get a degree in home economics. Mm-hmm. And um, so this was the house where they would practice like the cooking and the whatever they were learning oh. as far as home ec. This and, is where the pottery uh, wheel was that I always imagined in home ec. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. So um, Indiana State Teachers College became Indiana State University in 1961, just in case anybody wanted to know that. All right. So um, she was considered one of the strongest voices in Terre Haute. Uh, She's uh, as quoted by Dr. Crystal Michael or Mikkel Reynolds, um, who is a Terre Haute historian Mm -hmm. who has apparently researched Miss Grace extensively. She was interviewed in an August 2020 newspaper interview with the Terre Haute Tribune Star. And Dr. Reynolds referred to uh, Grace Wilson Evans as being fearless, which she kind of was. Reynolds regarded Evans as part of the hidden history of African Americans in the community. Yeah. So, uh, and they did that piece because it was the anniversary of the 19th Amendment. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. For the 2020 centennial. uh, Yeah, bicentennial. Right. But not bicentennial. Centennial. Centennial, yes. So this victory in voting rights, uh, meaning the 19th Amendment, uh, it was supposed to affect all women, um, but like we all know the South was not yeah. keen. Uh, so Southern Black people, male and female, uh, continued to face uh, barriers to voting. So there were poll taxes and literacy tests and property ownership requirements mm-hmm. and, of course, threats yeah. by people. And uh, in case you didn't think she was cool enough already, she also at one point ran for mayor. Of Terre Haute, Indiana. Ooh, I love it. She didn't win, but she ran. She put her name on a ballot. I like that. Totally. So, um, uh, Grace died at the age of 64 in her home on the 11th of June, 1952, of diabetes related complications. And if you remember when I was talking about her parents, her mother died 
1962. So uh, her mother actually outlived her. Wow. Um, Yes. So those racist barriers that kept Southern Blacks from voting uh, remained pretty much in place until the Voting Rights Act of 1965, uh, which was signed into law by um, President Johnson, Lyndon Mm -hmm. B. Johnson, Mm -hmm. 13 years after she died. Um, So to quote uh, Crystal Reynolds of the um, Terre Haute Tribune Star in August 2020, she would have been happy um, that women got the right to vote because she was such a brave woman. Oh. Uh, when she died, she was survived by her husband and seven of her children and three of her siblings and half siblings. And she's buried in Highland Lawn Cemetery in Terre Haute, Indiana. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. So while I was researching Mary McLeod Bethune, who I yeah. knew was a family friend right. of my dad's um, dad's parents, it was when I was studying her and the National um, Association of Colored Women's Clubs yeah, yeah. that I came across the article from the Tribune Star where they interviewed Dr. Crystal Reynolds. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, here's a person that totally like researched my relative it's like a treasure so trove realized, yeah so that's when i realized i had to switch people mm-hmm. yes it's like your did ancestor you was calling to you sorry go ahead katie did you contact dr reynolds you know what i tried to um and i've got some pretty good uh nancy drew skills um <laughs> as evidenced by all the genealogy i see <laughs> but um i did find um an email address And I sent her an email, but I did not get a reply. So either she doesn't check her email anymore or she's passed away or whatever. But I did try to um, to contact her and and just didn't get anywhere. Keep trying. I think that's amazing. (laughs) I might try to uh, because I know who wrote the, the article in the that at, you know the guy who interviewed her for the, for the piece so i may contact him because i know he still works for um for that newspaper yeah that's amazing and it's just it's all the more tangible when it's family exactly mm-hmm. Exactly. I have been trying to get more and more people especially black people mm-hmm. to do their genealogy because you know people have a tendency to just kind of think you know, the past isn't important. Right. But the past gives your own life context. It does. When you see what people went through that culminated in your very existence, mm-hmm. you know, it just makes history come alive and it makes history seem that much more important. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and empathetic. Relevant. If you can feel that way about somebody that you are related to, but you have never met, you can feel that way about somebody of history that you also never met too. So it just opens up, you know, gates of empathy, which is fantastic. What we all need. Exactly. (laughs) So anybody have any questions for Eden? I have questions, but I just, I love that both like she and her mother were college graduates. Yeah. 
is yeah. amazing at a time where it was hard enough to just be a woman period and get mm-hmm. a degree but then to be a woman of color and get a degree is super awesome like regardless yes. of what institution it was yeah and I thought it was super awesome that um was it her parents that were like the interracial marriage it was it would have been her uh great-grandparents and it was in virginia right in freaking virginia in the same place where they have the the loving um the loving case case? but like not until the 50s And interracial marriage didn't become legal until what, 1970, 1971? Yeah, I thought it was 70s. Yeah. Something like that. Um, Yeah, I'm not sure, except that I know that um, he's listed as a mulatto. Gotcha. um, Another old timey term that (laughs) usually refers to someone who has a white parent and a black parent. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times census takers didn't, they just kind of looked at your skin color. Mm. So a lot of people could have just put him down as being mulatto, but he was definitely a free person of color. Mm-hmm. Most free people of color were mixed race, mm-hmm. not all of them, right. but a large number of them were. And I would imagine that some of them are, were probably also indigenous. Mm-hmm. like indigenous and white mm-hmm. um i'm not sure if there was an actual name for that like mulatto but um uh it probably anyway. organically got grouped into the yes. same thing which is not great right. <laughs> so i'm guessing that if he was part um native american uh there was a time when people didn't quite frown on native americans mm-hmm. and white people getting married because that actually happened a lot. Um, They would have still been considered mixed race or a colored person, all these old timey terms, but um, you know what I mean? But uh, so I'm thinking he was probably part uh, or all indigenous. And I do know that that branch of my family has indigenous roots (laughs) because that's something that has always been claimed um i even have a picture of um of a fa- of a relative of that line and she's in um regalia oh nice yeah i it, it's not a big enough picture for me to identify like yeah yeah but you know there it is but to have a picture <laughs> right right amazing it's crazy that they had the license in the same state that mm-hmm. the loving versus virginia was right you don't yeah. even know how many like yeah. like a hundred years later or whatever yeah. mm-hmm. and um mildred who was the wife of you know she was mrs loving i know that she was part black and part indigenous Mm. Ah. as well um and may have also been part white i'm not sure but i know she's got uh indigenous roots as well um but yeah funny that you know yeah all related (laughs) i just keep saying this (laughs) we are all cousins Mm -hmm. absolutely (laughs) all right i love it you want to wrap us up darling i can wrap us up darling oh well 
that wraps it up for us this week. So join us, please join us next week for another cool woman of history as Gal's Guide podcast continues. Thank you so much for listening. Bye. For show notes, links, and images from this week's show, visit galsguide.org. Want exclusive stuff like deleted bits and major bloopers? Become a Gal's Guide patron today. Thanks for listening.